0: Hey, what's up? Welcome to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. My guest today is Grant Oliphant. My conversation with him today is brought to you by Audible.com, a repository of over 180,000 audiobooks that you can choose from and enjoy from any mobile device. If you're like me and trying to read more in 2017, Audible's the way to go. Head over to audibletrial.com slash Aaron to get a free audiobook and a 30 day free trial on the house just for you. But as I said, Grant Oliphant is the guest today. He in 2015 was named the most powerful person in the city of Pittsburgh, the most powerful, and he is in charge of the Heinz Endowment. The Heinz family, I'm sure you're familiar with the ketchup, left a massive fortune that is aimed at serving the public good in the greater Pittsburgh region. We spoke at length about how he makes his decisions, what skills he has cultivated, and what goes into running such a massive organization with such a large impact. We got real about failure, which is something that you don't Don't always hear from folks who are so successful and at such a high-ranking position in our society. So this, I truly believe, is one of the best interviews that we've done in quite a long time. And I think that you're really going to get a lot from it. So please make sure that you've got your notepad ready, unless you're driving, in which case, keep your hands on the wheel. And uh, enjoy my conversation with Grant Oliphant. You're listening to Going
1: Deep with Aaron Watson.
0: So, Grant, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. It's a pleasure, Aaron. (laughs) There's a ton for us to unpack and and talk about Pittsburgh, and we'll spare people talking about my terrible U8 soccer games that you probably witnessed. Uh, But to start things off... It's okay. I was a (laughs) terrible coach. (laughs) Uh, To start things off... You uh serve to run the Heinz Endowments here in Pittsburgh, and that can be a little opaque for some people, sure. so to start things off, if we could just get a little into the weeds and explain the work that you do on a sure. day to day week to week basis
1: uh in a nutshell, you know what I'd point people to is that the United States is really rare in the world and fortunate that we have. A whole sector to our economy, which is pretty unusual, which is what we refer to as the nonprofit sector. And it's the wealth of organizations that really shouldn't be defined by their lack of profit motive. It should be defined by their desire for social impact. And it's really better thought of as the social change sector. I work for a foundation, the Heinz Endowments, um, which represents a particular subset of that nonprofit community. And our job is to. Try and be very deliberate about the social change that we want to bring about in the world by funding organizations and people and ideas that are helping to drive the changes we want to see come about.
0: Okay. And many of the listeners will be familiar with, say, a venture capital firm or other... Uh, organizations that manage a lot of assets. And I want to unpack just a little further the difference in maybe the objective or the goal of something like the Heinz Endowments versus that venture capital firm. So
1: most, most of your listeners will be familiar with, say, the Ford Foundation or the Gates Foundation, which are very large national and international foundations that take a stockpile of money and they give that away every year to help foment change that they believe is important to have happen. Um, We're just a smaller version of that. The Heinz Endowments has about a billion and a half dollars in assets. It was founded uh, in 1945 originally as a legacy of the Heinz family, which started the Heinz Ketchup uh, Company. And that fortune has been basically given as a gift to the community of Pittsburgh to help drive... Progress and change and quality of life uh, in the in the place that that company and that family made its made its fortune um, a, a a way to think about what we do is um, unlike the for profit sector we are we're not motivated by trying to make money uh, the The work of the foundation is really about trying to bring about good results in the world for uh, causes that aren't typically helped by the for-profit sector. So a good example of that is the arts, where very often um, what we see is the work of artists and of large arts organizations and small arts organizations they exist in in large part because of the largesse of the American people uh, and what what folks are willing to give. Um, We see that across the board in what we think of as as the charitable sector, organizations and people who work to feed the hungry, uh, provide shelter for the homeless, uh, provide a better education for children. We have so much of the American experience that is in our country handled through uh, the nonprofit community and the role that it plays in trying to produce a better set of outcomes. Our job as a foundation is, in many respects, like a venture um, uh, firm, in that we use investments of money to try try and drive particular impacts. They're just not typically measurable in money, in dollars and cents. And if we're successful, we don't get richer. In theory, the community gets richer.
0: Gotcha. That is... Perfectly segueing into another question that I wanted to ask, which is how you go about measuring your success and, and what metrics you and your team look at to judge your performance.
1: Now, let me anchor this in, in what I think is the big challenge right now for Pittsburgh and in some ways for the country. Over the course of the last couple of years since I've gotten here, we've retooled the focus of the foundation uh, around a core concept of creating a more just community. And the idea around uh, around justice, it's a funny word. Sometimes people react to it in a political way. They almost think of it as a partisan thing. Uh, but the concept of justice is really one of embracing fairness and embracing equity. Uh, I think we would all like to live in a community that's more fair and, and, and uh, provides true opportunity and better outcomes for everybody. Uh, and so the notion that we're pushing is how to do that. And... What we've adopted as portals into that, our vision of a more just community, is an emphasis on uh, activities around sustainability, creativity, and learning. Those three things are where we're focusing. Sustainability in the classic sense uh, means more than just the environment. It actually also means creating an inclusive eco- uh, economy and looking and worrying at, about things like affordable housing as the community begins to turn around and. Show signs of prosperity and growth uh, if we if we don't do that, if we imagine building an economy that excludes people and leaves uh, too many people behind, we will continue to have the divisions and the problems that we see in the country today. So, how do we measure our impact on all of that because those are big things yeah. you know, they're uh, but actually it's it it turns out to be um, it turns out to be both difficult and easy at the same time on 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 one level um this is the work of lifetimes you know it's sort of the the work of cathedral builders who worked over centuries to finish cathedrals and they would hand that task off to the next generation and it's in some ways no different here uh, but there are things that we can measure so if you take fairness as an example in our community we have um, serious uh, divides around race and around opportunity uh, uh, across lines of gender. Um, We can look at how uh, the African-American community continues to perceive opportunity here, and we measure that. We can look at uh, what happens in particular neighborhoods as they become, as they begin to experience a new affluence. uh, And see what is happening to the folks who are actually living in that neighborhood now and measure whether they benefit from that growth or whether they get forced out by it. Uh, So what we have to do is in a fairly rigorous way go through the set of conditions that we care about and set up a metric for each and every one of them. I think in terms of of the broad areas that I mentioned, if you look at learning in, in our community um, we have some great school districts in our in our region, and we have some ones that are struggling. We have students who are doing well, and we have students who are really suffering. We have um, far too many kids who are emerging from school and their school experience really not prepared for the sort of jobs that our corporations and businesses in this town tell us that they need to fill. Over the course of the next 10 years, this region is going to generate a need for 80,000 more people than we currently have to fill the jobs that are anticipated. Uh, so how are we going to fill those jobs? Uh, and the and the price of not doing that, by the way, is that we fail to grow as a region. So um, one answer to that is we have to better prepare the students who are coming out of schools so that they are equipped to have those jobs and and, and fill them. Uh, there's a myth that we can somehow do that by attracting people from the outside, but if we're not leveraging the kids who are here, we will never fill those jobs, and we will always be a place that feels like it's falling behind the rest of the economy. So that's an example of one thing we can measure over the course of the next decade about whether we're in fact be- doing a better job of preparing our kids in this community for those jobs that we know are going to be coming available and that we're going to need to fill as a region.
0: I'm always fascinated by the way that people in a position such as yours do their learning. And there's there's obviously a, a wealth of experience in previous positions and roles that, have, that are informing what you do now along with your education. Uh, but Currently, in previous conversations, we've spoken with Ray Gastiel the city planner, and Mayor Bill Peduto about how they go about learning about their city. Uh, I'm curious, as you reference these different neighborhoods that either are or are not experiencing this cycle of tech invasion, I would say, in, in the city of Pittsburgh, how do you go about learning about what's going on on the ground and then come and apply that to the work that you're doing?
1: Sure. Well, I, I, so I love the name of your podcast, and I'd say it's a metaphor in some ways for part of what we do. You know, we, we work really hard to go deep in the community. I'd also say that we work really hard to go broad um, and, and go wide. The, the foundation um, is by its charter a regional foundation. We focus on this community in particular, uh, the Pittsburgh community. But we have a decades-long tradition of using this community as a laboratory for problems that are national and international in scope. So when we're thinking about how to fix a problem here, we're thinking about it through the lens of, and there's a national and global application for this. The reverse of that is that we have an obligation to learn from what is going on in the rest of the world and to um, really apply the best thinking from anywhere we can find it to what's happening here. So one mandate that my team and I have is that we look all over the world for the best ideas. Um, we look to our colleague foundations. We look to organizations that aren't foundations, foreign, you know, foreign um, enterprises and, and uh, governmental programs in other countries. Uh, anything that we can learn from that we think might be a useful idea here. Um, we 'll study that, so that 's one piece the to the The more specific question you asked about this community, which is the going deep part, is probably from a soul perspective and forgive me for introducing that term, but this work is all about heart and about caring for people and and from a, a heart perspective, um, going deep is the most important part of of what we do and the most important responsibility that we have over the years, that I've been involved in this work, uh, one of the things that I've seen foundations do over and over again, and we've been as guilty as others, is, um, you know, we tend to attract really bright people who think uh, that they're experts, and they are, but they are prone to making the same mistake that all experts make, which is to assume that they have the solution for the problems of other people. And what you learn very quickly is humility, because you realize that, We actually, uh, almost none of us can solve a problem for another person. Um, The best we can do, the most important thing we can do is listen to what they have to say. So there is a listening mandate for all of our staff, uh, and, and they spend a lot of time with the organizations that we fund, hearing about what they're up against and what their problems are and what they think their opportunities are. We also, um, to the extent we can, try and spend time in the community itself. Um, we all live here. We all uh, have experience of what it's like to to face challenges here. And we um, try and study as closely as we can what people are actually experiencing on the ground. So as an example, um, this foundation is very active in a neighborhood called Hazelwood, which happens to be a place where we and two other foundations own a massive old steel mill site that we want to turn into a global example of first-rate sustainability, which includes both that environmental compu- component but also the economic component and the community connections component.
0: Is that the so, carry furnaces or is that a
1: different one? It's uh, the old LTV site okay. uh, on a 170-acre uh, site in, um, in the Hazelwood community right on the rivers, okay. uh, right across from Southside Works. Gotcha. And... Um, huge opportunity you know we have we have a set of foundations who want to do the right thing and develop show what first rate uh globally relevant um, locally sensitive development might look like and and yet the most important part of that is that we are continually listening to the community so our our teams have had over a hundred listening meetings with the community think we're close to 150 at this point and um, and that will continue through every phase of this project uh, and the same is true in any community we go into the first thing that we do is try and connect with people on the ground who are doing the work uh, connected to the community who know it better than than we do you know there's an old adage in community related work which I think we repeat to ourselves more and more these days, which is nothing about me without me. And it's a it's probably the most important rule that we can remind ourselves of, because when we try and do things for people without them, the results won't be pretty. There's a, there's a ton to unpack in that
0: answer. And one of the things I just want to help reiterate to make sure the audience gets is the idea of both borrowing ideas and replicating ideas from other cities and foundations that can be applied here while simultaneously, you know, really connecting with communities to develop programs, organically here that can be spread elsewhere. We have uh, other examples of that. Previous guests, Leah Lizarondo and Giselle Fetterman with 412 Food Rescue and the Braddock Free Store trying to create models that can be replicated elsewhere once they've been tested out. Um, You've done similar work developing the Pittsburgh Promise and Pittsburgh Gives programs. And Inevitably, in that process of developing new programs and borrowing others, there's going to be—I don't know if you want to say explicitly—success and failures, or differing mm. degrees of success. So I'm curious how uh, how you go about evaluating something that might be deemed a failure, or how you how you maybe make the decision once a program has reached the threshold where it's not meeting a metric that you deem to be a success, cutting bait and, and
1: cutting your losses or moving on? Well the hardest thing in this work without question is letting go of something that isn't working. And admitting it is hard in any uh any sphere of life. Uh it's especially hard when the measures of that aren't as apparent. You know if you're if you're running a company uh and I've been in situations where this is true you can, despite the bottom line, continue to convince yourself that you've got a future for a very long time. Uh, and sometimes that pans out and turns out to be true. And sometimes it, it turns out not to be possible. And, um, and that is as stark a measure as it exists in our society. You know, there's, a, there's a profit or loss statement that says my company is or isn't doing well. Uh, I've got investors who are or are not uh, supporting the growth of this company. Um, in the nonprofit sector, that's harder because, first of all, you have to be working with a segment of the nonprofit sector where the mission is change, not just providing a service. You know, if the if the mission is just providing a service, you're always going to do that. You hope you'll always have the resources to do it. You'll always lose money doing it. It's the nature of the business. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a nonprofit sector. Um, if you're trying to bring about community change, sometimes what that looks like and what that looks like in the near term is is really hard to identify. Uh, years ago in this town, we had um, one of the earliest national examples of an ambitious early childhood initiative, and what that what that program aspired to do a decade and a half ago was set Allegheny County apart as um, making a really mind boggling investment in high quality early education for every child in Allegheny County who needed it, why is that important because from a da- from a scientific standpoint, we know that early brain development is the thing that is a predictor for later success in life. so if you can get to kids early, give them a good a good basis for learning, not have them start school at a huge disadvantage on on um, literally on neural pathways, uh, including the ones that uh, include vocabulary, then um, those kids will have a much better chance of success later in life. So from an equity standpoint, we decided a, a decade and a half ago, the most important thing we could do was invest in early childhood in this town. And the town stepped up, uh, and it made a mammoth commitment, and we began to realize two things early on from a um, From an impact from the if the measure was impact on kids who were in the program, this was a smash success. We collected data through scientific research that uh, validated the assumption and demonstrated that kids who had exposure to this high quality education did better years later in tracking those same kids, what we validated was that they did better for a long time, so the impact on the kids was amazing. The flip side was that the program itself wasn't growing. It wasn't able to. The costs were mounting too high. Uh, the decisions that, were, were, that parents were making and the government was making were complicating that. Assumptions that had been made about government support for this type of thing uh, and thus financial sustainability weren't panning out. And at a certain point, the, the sponsors of this initiative had to acknowledge that what we had on our hands was a program that worked on one level but could not scale because of the, of the profound systemic challenges that it faced. And while we're a huge institution and there are other huge institutions that were backing this as well, um, we didn't have nearly the money to do it on our own. One of the myths about the foundation sector in our country is that because they're big institutions and have a lot of money, that they somehow can take the place of what government might do or what private donors might do. Uh, And it turns out that you could run the federal government for about an hour, I think, on what the entire foundation sector gives every year. Um, So we're, you know, we're a drop a drop in the bucket. What we what we try to do is use that drop really um, in an intelligent way to spark new ideas, bring about innovation, and get new programs off the ground. But sometimes you have to acknowledge that isn't working, and so that was an example of a program where we where we had to pull the plug, and immensely painful uh, decision, uh, but but realistic and. What we then did was pivot to use the good side of what we had learned to try and impress upon the state and state legislators about how seriously they needed to take early childhood. As a result, um, the good news is that Pennsylvania went from being one of the worst states in the country in terms of its support for early childhood learning to one of the better ones. Now we're beginning to slip again, but the use of the learning from that experience... Was a great mechanism, a great way for us to have an impact, even though the program itself didn't pan out the way that we wanted to. And that's how it always is in this work. You know, um, this is not as precise as as rocket science. It's social science is in some ways much harder because you're dealing with human systems and human decision making, which turns out to be maddeningly imprecise and beautiful at the same time. Uh, And uh, Art of of uh, philanthropy is to be really cognizant of that, um, and not arrogant about the outcomes. You know, there's a great story. If uh, do you mind if I add on a, Go for a it. okay? There's a great story that I I heard years ago about a, um, and it illustrates how foundations sometimes fall into the. Actually, it's how smart people. Your listeners are probably all in the potential audience for this, so listen up. Yeah. <laughs> the where um you know i've listened to your podcast and and i I suspect you know what you attract are people who are very thoughtful and 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 who want to make things happen in the world and and who um, will have great ideas to contribute but um, we all have to be careful about how we do that and years ago there was a a great thing called the play pump that was um an idea uh, that that a, a group of foundations came up with um, in doing work in Africa. And the notion was that um, one of the principal challenges facing um, villagers uh, was the access to fresh water and the amount of time that it took to get water out of the ground from deep wells. And women in these villages would walk for miles and then they'd have to pump the pump for for hours and uh, draw water from the well, and, um, and then carry it back. Uh, and um, some really smart person came up with this cool idea. I still think it's a cool idea, About well, what if instead of doing all of that, you used the, you harnessed the energy of kids at play, to um, draw the water from the ground, and so they created one of those carousels that and and attached it to a pump and the and the carousel brought the water to the surface um, and and everybody in the world thought that this was the coolest idea ever. It received massive infusions of of international foundation funding and then A little while later, an enterprising reporter went back and looked at where the uh, pump had been installed and discovered one small problem. No one was using it. And, And what everybody had failed to consider was that their cool idea actually got in the way of cultural norms in those places. So there were questions about using kids to do work when they were supposed to be playing. There were questions about um, what this would do to the role and place of the women who had been collecting the water. There were um, issues around how it disrupted the social time that happened in the context of that. So, um, you know, I think what what you learn from an example like that is it's possible to dive into what seems like a really good idea. But if you don't go back and look at how it's working, then you're going to miss what you could learn from it. Um, what I think was learned from that example was a different way of solving the same problem. And I think that's, what's always true of this kind of work. We, what we describe as a failure, it's important to acknowledge as a failure, but there's always another shoe to drop in this era, era in, in this arena, um, by asking yourself, and what can I learn from it? You know, what can I do better as a result of this? Uh, what we're trying to do, what organizations that we fund are trying to do, is they want to make the world a better place. And so uh, it's not like a failure looks like them doing horrible things. It generally doesn't. What it looks like is that they're not changing the world that the, the way that they want to, and um, we all have to learn how to do it better.
0: I know that a lot of the listeners and my peers Feel very similarly about that drive to want to make positive change for the world, and have those ideals and goals that they don't necessarily know how to execute on. And if you'll allow me to take it to a personal level, real quick, before we start wrapping up, I'm, I'm also fascinated by systems thinking and the process. I'm sorry, or the uh, methods by which people accumulate areas of expertise, not necessarily total mastery, but the ability to connect, you know, two, three, four areas of real expertise, attach those skills together and be able to accomplish be able to execute then with that with that toolkit at their disposal can you speak personally to maybe what skills or abilities you would say that you're above average at that you use to apply to your work with the Heinz endowments and maybe a little bit about the methods that you've gone
1: about cultivating those skills uh really interesting question and i think um you know this is a this is a field that requires a variety of different skills and and not all in the same person necessarily. One of the things that we're learning, I think, is that uh, intersectionality is really important in this work because we often do work at the systems level. We need people who can think at the systems level who can uh, think about the dynamics behind outcomes and why you know why the world is the way it is and what we can do to change it. Um, And that includes uh, very specific systems. So systems of government, systems of health care delivery, systems of food delivery, uh, systems that affect of government support, systems that affect human behavior in a variety of ways. And I am not an expert in all of those, uh, but I think one of the uh, skill sets that foundation presidents have to have is an ability to work across those systems and think at that level and, and, and think about how they come together. And really the experts in that are my staff who, who have to go deeper in each of those areas. Um, you know, in my, I I came into this work through communications, uh, and I, 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 I have a view of the foundation sector, which I think is informed by having come up through communications in a very specific way. I think that we are one of the few uh, sectors in our society that has a capacity to speak without repercussions. We have to be very careful because of um, IRS laws about... Uh, behaving politically and speaking politically. So we don't don't act in a partisan way. We don't speak up on partisan political issues. We're forbidden from doing that. But we have the capacity to be very outspoken, if we want to, on issues that matter and being a voice for the sort of progress that we want to see in the world. So I think a capacity to think about the role of courage and communications is important for people who want to be in this work. Um, there's a set of very specific knowledge sets that we look for when we look to uh, hire people here, and they can be you know expertise in the underlying areas that we 're funding in, so for example. Our um, environmental program director is a first-rate expert in environmental health issues and policy. Our uh, director of, of community and economic development actually ran the Urban Redevelopment Authority here in Pittsburgh and, and, and started life as a community development uh, expert on the ground in one of our neighborhoods. So we look for people with very specific expertise, but we're also learning to look for people who are operating more at the intersections of those areas because we're, we're mixing it up. You know, If you think about uh, trying to build the future of this region on a base of sustainability, for example, you're going to need people who understand policy across the board, city, uh, county, and state, and really federal as well. Uh, we're so we're you know we, we've we've added that expertise to the staff um, this is a very small organization we have about uh, 35 people but it's a very complicated organization because we have to have a lot of skill sets uh, represented here and I'm just fortunate that I'm able to lead uh, the place and I'm it's a privilege to do it
0: and we appreciate your leadership and the continued work that you do for the city as a born and raised uh, citizen.
1: I'm hopeful for the future and I'm assuming that you are as well. I am hopeful. I'm also, um, you know, I think what I, the way I look at it is uh, we have work to do. You know, the, these are challenging times. If you look uh, at the national level, the global level, or or here, I am excited about pittsburgh in a way that i haven 't been uh, for the twenty five years that i 've lived here. I moved here twenty five years ago, and i 'm more excited about pittsburgh today i 'm more bullish on its prospects than I ever was and I think great things are happening here, and we can be a model for some of the um, highest standards in the world if we really want to do that. We will have to push for it. There's nothing preordained in that. And I think, um, you know, when I look to a guy like you, um, I'm hopeful that voices like yours will keep calling the community forward to, to set higher expectations for us around things like being a creative community and around uh creating more opportunity for kids and around being more sustainable across all the definitions for that word. Pittsburgh is uh, is at a disadvantage nationally and globally in terms of how it's seen as a just community and that surprises people from this town sometimes uh but it shouldn't. You know, we we are um, a city that has some work to do around racism, that has some work to do around sexism, that uh, that has to demonstrate still tolerance uh, around gender equity issues and and uh, gender orientation, a lot of things for us to work on. But am I bullish about our ability to do it and our and our willingness to do it? Yeah, you bet I am. Yeah, and and I can speak to that
0: surprise, my. Um, Girlfriend is Asian American and came here from Boston to the University of Pittsburgh. And that's a conversation that she had to have of maybe the tolerance or the experiences that she has in other cities compared to here. And um, acknowledging that and recognizing that is something I don't always see as a lifelong Pittsburgher and a tall white guy. I, I Tend to be able to look past that, so a constant struggle and a constant process of education. If people want to follow along and continue to connect with you in the digital world and learn more about all the work that Heinz Endowments is doing, where can we point people towards?
1: So the uh, my my Twitter handle is at go underscore grant and. The Heinz Endowments is uh, at Heinz Endows. Uh, Both are are good on Twitter. Um, The Heinz Endowments is on Facebook. Um, I confess right now, Aaron, that I'm trying really hard to refrain from Facebook because it was becoming all-consuming for me, uh, especially after the election. But I... You know, and and so those uh, Twitter is probably the best way to to follow us. Although the Heinz Endowments definitely on Facebook, and I would also say uh, www.heinz.org. Um, we uh, are in the process of redoing our website, so maybe give us a month. But but the we have a regular blog there uh, where when I uh, feel compelled, I um, speak out about subjects of interest in the community. So that's another place.
0: Absolutely. We'll be sure to link that in the show notes at goingdeepwithaaron.com slash podcast, the best place to find the show notes for this and every episode of the show. Um, Grant, thank you so much for coming on. Before we get to the personal challenge for the audience, I just want to say thank you for letting me into your office and picking your brain yeah, for a half great. hour. Uh, I learned a lot, and I'm sure the audience is going to benefit a lot from hearing your perspective on these issues. But before we let you go, I'd like you to take the mic one last time and issue a challenge directly to them.
1: I think the challenge I would uh, deliver to your audience whether they're in Pittsburgh or not is it's one that I think we all uh, are wrestling with Um, we're at a moment in our in our culture where the challenge that we face um, is one of whether we can think in terms of we rather than me and I think we're seeing people struggle with what their place is in a very complicated society Uh, And that's true on the left and the right, Uh, and and I think we saw it and demonstrated uh, abundantly in the election uh, and in the terrible incivility that has followed it. But the future of our planet and the future of our community both depend on us thinking in terms of us. And what I urge for your um, listeners is to think about in their own lives what they're doing to help build a community of we rather than me. And, um, and that can be very specific and very different for each of us, but rebuilding notions of what community looks like and how we bridge differences and how we speak to each other in a civil way and how we uh, maybe try and listen to the same voices so that we're not inventing our, our own views. And I think also fundamentally how we respect fact and science again um, as tools of decision making—all of these things are things that your audience actually, over time, since it, I imagine it skews younger than um, than my typical audience, for example—you uh, know, you guys are going to be deciding, and you need to start building that future now. This is a long game. And, um, and everything you do from this point out on is going to paint the way to how you think and decide in the future and what the community looks like in the future. So treat it that way.
0: An excellent challenge. I'm sure people are going to be stewing over it for the next couple of days. Thank you again, Grant, for coming on. We just went deep with Grant Oliphant of the Heinz Endowments. Hope everyone out there has a fantastic day. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Please make sure you hit subscribe if you've not already done so. We've got a ton of great episodes continuing down the pipe. If you're interested in some of our best recent episodes before this one, make sure you head over to episode 175 with Robert Scoble, the tech evangelist and blogger. We talked about AR and VR, that's augmented and virtual reality. We've also got a ton of other great conversations, including social media guru Calvin Wayman, political journalist, Isaac Saul, and many, many more. Feel free to reach out to me at AaronWatson59 on Twitter for a personalized recommendation. But as always, thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time.
1: Thanks for listening.
0: Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.